more. We don't exalt our race above Jesus. We don't exalt our ethnicity above Jesus. Mm. It's a factor that we cannot be ignored. And I want to say this just even as a black man, too, because I think that there's this thing where we could really think of ourselves solely through our blackness, even as Christians. What we have to understand is we're all children of God, Mm -hmm. and we have that shared identity first. Welcome to Leadership in Black and White with John Siebling and Wayne Francis. This is a podcast devoted to Christian leaders to help you in the gray areas of life. We talk about topics like church, race, current events, and more. My name is Parker, and today I'm going to be asking John and Wayne some questions about some different hot topics and things going on in society around the subject of race. Today, we've got a little Q&A plan. We're wrapping up the month of January. And you know, each month on the podcast, we sort of decide on a theme for those weeks. And this month, we've been focusing on the theme of race. So today, I've got four questions as we finish out the month. Are you guys ready for these, these questions? Let's go. Got some big ones, okay? Let's just jump right in. Question number one. Critical race theory is something we've heard about and seen a lot about in the news. There's lots of different opinions, some very passionate ones. My question is, what is critical race theory and how should Christians respond to it? Mm, Great question. Um, Can I say again, not experts on anything. (laughs) I'm not an expert on anything. We're not trying to propose that we uh, know everything about this topic of race. And I I would say, especially when it comes to critical theory or critical race theory, Mm -hmm. definitely not experts on this topic. And and this topic can be so confusing, Wayne, because there are so many theorists out there, (laughs) critical race theory. There's so many theorists out there who espouse this theory from different perspectives. Um, And really, the, the basis of it is critical theory. And then, you know, when it comes to race, then it becomes critical race theory. So... It's a way, let me try to define it. Okay. It's a way, uh, one way that our culture tries to explain power structures. Yeah. And I think there's like three sort of defining principles that make it real complicated for believers to embrace. Mm -hmm. First um, is according to critical theory, everybody is divided between two groups. You're either um, uh, in power or you don't have power. You're the oppressed or you're the oppressor. Right. So, so, um, and that's the second thought is that those who have power mm-hmm. always oppress those who don't. Hmm. And then, then the third, um, your identity is found more in how you are identified socially. Okay. That's where you identify, uh, like, like racial. Yeah. Like, so you're identified by your race. You're identified by your your gender, you're mm-hmm. identified by your sexual orientation, mm-hmm. you're identified by your immigration status. Mm-hmm. So um, those are sort of the three big, you know, theories, premises, however you want to say it. Everyone's divided into two groups. Mm-hmm. Um, those who have power, those who don't. Number two, those who have power always oppress those who don't. And third, your identity is, it's really an elevation of identity right. around social issues, racial, gender, sexual orientation, immigration status. So, so I'll take it one, one step further. So it's divisive in nature, which means 
you're either an oppressor or you are the oppressed. Mm-hmm. And so it, and it, and because you elevate identity, it empowers your personal identity in an unhealthy way, uh, meaning, you know, shame or victimization. Yeah. And, and so, um, so you, you, if you kind of think of it this way, like, like, um, like a white male is always going to be the person in power. This is according to critical theory. Yeah. So always the oppressor. Yeah. So, so if you're a female, you're already in the you're already in the oppressed. Yeah. If you're a black if you're, female, if you're a black female, you're even more oppressed. If you're, let's say, you're a black Jamaican female, that means you're right. an immigrant. Right. You're. It's even. If you're a black gay Jamaican uh, female. Yeah. You could just keep going and it, going, and you become more and more oppressed, mm-hmm. um, depending on your your social construct. Yeah, I I think you say something interesting about this as we're delving into it. And it has so much to do with how a person identifies. And as followers of Jesus, we have to say anything, when we exalt our identity, we are producing idolatry. Mm. When you exalt your identity, you're producing an idolatry because we're called to exalt Christ and Christ alone. So I think that we need to start somewhere as we unpack it. And of course, if you're uh, new to our podcast, you're going to love that I use a lot of alliteration because it's just more powerful. Okay. I'm just, let's you're going to love down. or you're going to be irritated by, <laughs> oh, never mind. Let's start off with, <laughs> this is what I think is a, a, a response, at least right now, about critical race theory that we need to get into a little bit. First of all, it starts with God, right? We, we talked about identity. We're image bearers. We have to start there. We are image bearers. We are made in the image of Christ. We don't exalt our race above Jesus. We don't exalt our ethnicity above Jesus. Mm. It's a factor that we cannot be ignored. And I want to say this just even as a black man too, because I think that there's this thing where uh, people of color, black people in general, we could really think of ourselves solely through our blackness, Wow! even as Christians. So what we have to understand is we start with God. We are image bearers. We're all children of God. Mm -hmm. And we have that shared identity first. Second is the gospel. And the reason why I feel that the tenets of critical race theory are anti-gospel is that it presumes that it only should relieve one type of person from oppression, not all people from oppression. Mm. And so spiritually and practically speaking, the good news is really that Jesus has come to set at liberty all captives, captives from our sin, which obviously racism is a sin. It's a condition of the fall that allows us to want to keep people in bondage. We need to say and look at the gospel freeing us. So if you read the Bible, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, in particularly when it, it relates to the freedom of peoples, it gets way more liberal as the story continues. In fact, when you see Jesus come on the scene, he's breaking all different types of social mores. He's releasing children, women, people that are marginalized, sure. so on. The gospel is good news setting people free. Here's another thing, and this is where it could get a little tense and, and why critical race theory in part has this tenet that doesn't it doesn't get us to an image that is biblical. And we, we like to talk about it like in our book about starting at the end. We use Revelation 7 as a premise for right. that. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, right. all gathered together. We're around the throne of Jesus, right? right. So this right. is the image. Diversity is not reserved for heaven. It's a requirement on earth. The goal has to be to get to diverse contexts where there's equality. I fear sometimes, at least from 
black church leadership at times that there's not an equal desire for diversity, that there's only one side. Wow. White people are the only ones that are supposed to, you know, um, embrace or have work to do on the diversity side. We actually all have work. That's mm. why we talk about open-handed, open-minded, open-heart types of um, our theology, at least, is based on that. So the goal has to be Revelation 7. It can't be, hey, let's stick it to the man. In fact, this is not just about Black people. If we read in the scriptures, we actually see that um, the, the Jewish people had expected to get out of Roman oppression by just flipping the order. And Jesus is like, no, I'm, I'm flipping it for everybody. It's not just you get Roman, you know, you put the Romans underneath and then you guys are on top. That's not what it, it, it happens. good. So this is an equal thing that we see in the scripture. That's why I love it. Then the last thing is, I want to say this, and this is important because if you've bristled at some of this stuff that I've said so far, we need grace. I think I, I want to empathize with people that are really trying to do hard work to bring the history of African-American people and the contributions of Black people in North America and around the world to the forefront in a way where we can all learn the story of the amazing contributions that Black people have done and the 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 horrific treatment that has happened to black people in North America in a way where we can all experience and learn more, not just in an elective way. Like when I was going to school, it was just like, you had to go to African-American studies, right? Mm -hmm. And stuff like that. There should be, I, I empathize with people that really want to get the right story out, but we don't want to be revisionist in a way that does the same thing where you just flip the oppressor. You just flip the story. It's right. like, can we really get down and give grace for people that are trying to show the robust and holistic picture of what it looks like to be a contributor to the the American story, not only just in what's happened in North America, but the robustness of the African-American reality. And I think we need to give each other grace to listen. I'm not pushing off people that are trying to um, bring education to the forefront. What I am pushing against is false theologies that cause division, um, theories that could cause us to uh, feel more divided, more uh, hatred toward one another, go and go backwards, right? Like, we need to have something that is unifying us. And um, that's my working so, conversation on this. I'm going to say one, one or two more things. I think we would agree then, or in total agreement, that that critical race theory is not compatible with Christianity, right? with a biblical worldview. right. And I think one of the biggest, most dangerous parts of critical race theory is that it, it, um, it, it, it labels. Yes. So um, as a white person, you should feel ashamed for being white, which I don't agree with. Right. Um, as a black person, you should feel oppressed and, and a victim. Exactly. Because of your blackness. Um, not all white people are racists. Right. And, and there would be some white people that feel oppressed, that would feel like, I and, do not. And some black people are racist. Right. So it, I think the other side of it is critical race theory puts these labels that divide. And so there's there's a lot more we could say about it. It's it's a complicated thing. I'm, I'm glad we were able to talk about it uh, and, and really even discuss it prior to this recording so that we could uh, unpack it together, understand it together. So... Um, 
Yep. Question number one. Uh-huh. Yep. Complicated, complicated issue. Complicated, complicated. issue. But, it is. Okay, question number two. This one's for Pastor Wayne. Uh, Black History Month. Oh, I forgot one thing. Oh, go ahead. Colossians chapter two, verse eight, Wayne. Yeah. In the oh, Bible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a great verse about critical race theory and any theory yes. that is in opposition to the gospel. The Apostle Paul, Colossians 2, verse 8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Yeah, it's always Christ in it. Boom. Sorry, I I forgot to read Colossians. All right, Pastor Wayne, question for you, number two. Uh, We are entering February, which is Black History Month. So help us out. What does this mean to you? And how should white people celebrate or experience Black History Month? Well, for me, I mean, it's, I got to tell you, there's a lot of different feelings about Black History Month. You know, first of all, why it got to be February, the shortest month in the year. (laughs) Could we get September, though? (laughs) But aside from that, (laughs) you know, anything that's going to bring attention um, in a positive way is a good thing. I'm not, you know, beating my chest you know, like, I can't wait till February. But some people are. Some people sure, feel like this sure, is a, yeah. a beautiful thing. So we want to respect both sides. When it comes to what white people should do um, during Black History Month, buy a lot of gift cards for black people. That was- <laughs> <laughs> Start there. <laughs> Olive Garden? No, no, Olive Garden. <laughs> Red buy, buy a lot of gift cards. No, I'm just joking. Just joking. Relax, everybody. I think one of the beautiful ways for white people to, um, and, mm. and I'm going to push that a little bit. First, that I'm going to start. Good. That was good. I thought you were about to give your address. I know. I to say, Can you send it to Wayne at leadership at blackandwhite.com? No. Um, I think one of the things that white people can do during this month is to have some heightened empathy. So one of the ways to do that is Maybe this is a, a time where you gather your family and you watch a great Netflix documentary. Mm. Watch it together. Watch something about a, an amazing contributor to um, American history that is a person of color. It'd be a great time for you right. to do that. Number two, it might be a time where you plan, especially like people that are in the Northeast or maybe here in the uh, Mid-South, visit a museum. Mm. In D.C., you can, there's plenty of museums, but the 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 new uh, museum for African American is great. Um, Where here, is that in DC? DC, mm. and then here, obviously, you and I have Civil been there, Museum. Parker. You've been there, Civil Rights Museum. It's a great time to take a trip and 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 learn some things. The last thing that I would say is this would be a great time to have a. Um, a a person over for coffee or uh, dinner, try something international, try something uh, new and embrace uh, African-American culture. But I got to push a little bit too, because it's not just about white people during Black History Month doing something to celebrate. I think black people need to invite white people into our context as well. Right. For us to have conversations, for us to share our stories, for us to talk about our history in positive sure. ways and welcome people that are white to learn more about our history in a very relaxed and beautiful and conversational type of way, not in an adversarial way. Like we're going to tell you, like, let's do this as a relational type of thing. I think relationship is the bottom line because I can ask you questions (laughs) that I can't ask other people that I'm not in relationship with. So you can't be the awkward white person that rolls up (laughs) to a black person in church and what does Black History Month mean to you? Yeah, You know, exactly. I mean, whoa, you know, first of all, my name is Larry, you know, what's your name? I mean, 
So I, I, I think, you know, like I, I, I want to know your answer to this question, big question. Okay. Like, will it, do you, can you ever see a time where we don't have to celebrate Black History Month? Like, um, <sighs> is it, uh, could so we? So you talking about Black History Year? I'm saying <laughs> where we share, you know, is it ever a time? I don't know. I'm just wondering, is it, I see the need for it. Right. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to encourage the white people not to roll their eyes when they hear about Black History Month or this or that or this award ceremony that mm -hmm. you know honors just black people. But because I see the value of it, sometimes you have to push to the extreme on some things just right. to achieve the balance. Right, right, right. So will there ever be a time, I wonder, where we don't have to have a month devoted to black history where it's like we're 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 really there at a place where we're sh we have well, shared history? I don't know. Yeah, well one one could hope. Here's the thing, here's what's also powerful about it. one would hope that that's Is that an the offensive goal. question? No, I don't I don't feel okay. offended. About the, I would feel more offended if the tone was like, well, why do we have to do this? Sure. And when can we get rid of this? Don't we know enough yet? If your tone came across that way, I'd right. be like, hey. Right, right, I think, though, that black people still, I'm learning things still about our history. Like, I was today years old when I learned about Juneteenth. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, in the last two years, I was like, I don't even know what that is, right? Wow. So, and I've been. That's amazing for I've you to say that. I've been black for 46 years. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So there's a lot of, a lot of things. Uh, Chief of Staff didn't teach you <laughs> about Juneteenth. Tell me about no Juneteenth. So you know, there's things that we still Chief have to learn. Chief of Staff learn. is is my dad. His nickname for Wayne's dad. Which he when he first met Pastor John, he came up to him and said, "Hey, my brother from a white mother." <laughs> and he doesn't tell anybody that his name is Peter. He only tells people that his name is Chief of Staff. Your dad is so the best. He's awesome. But there's still things for us to learn. So Black History Month can be powerful yeah. yep. for us to learn a lot of different things. Great. Okay, question number three. This one's just more so for, for you, Pastor John. Oh, uh, <laughs> one of the most difficult and controversial subjects, I think, when it comes to race mm -hmm. is the idea of white privilege. Mm. Uh, what is it, and what do you think about it? I'll tell you what I think about it, um, and then I'll talk about what it is. Um, or let me reverse that. I'll tell you what it is, and then I'll tell you what I think about it. In fact, there's a dictionary definition for it. The Oxford Dictionary defines white privilege as inherent advantages possessed by a white person on the basis of their race in a society characterized by mm. racial inequality. Mm. So, um, in other words, if you are white and you live in America, there probably have been certain advantages that you have enjoyed throughout your life that you didn't have to earn. Yeah. Doesn't mean your life has been easy. Mm -hmm. Hear me now, this is really important. It doesn't mean your life has been easy. Doesn't mean you haven't worked hard for the things you have. I think when people hear privilege, they think, you know, they were raised wealthy. Right. Um, it just means an advantage that there were certain advantages that you had because you were white. Doesn't mean you haven't experienced poverty. Okay, so I think that white privilege is real. Um, I think it's a real thing. But having said that, um, I, I don't want white people to feel ashamed because they're white. Right. But to have, a, to, to, to have some recognition that your whiteness has probably helped you to a certain degree, yes. um, I think is important for you to, to realize in order to have a good conversation with a black person, with a person of color about you know, um, their upbringing and, yeah. and different ex experiences. Um, so 
if you want to empathize with people of color, with black people and black history and different things, I think you have to have some sense of, okay, I'm uncomfortable talking about it. I don't like the idea of white privilege, but I, I think it's, it's a reality. Yeah. In fact, we have this little privilege exercise that we do. We've done it, me and you have oh, done yeah. it several times. Yep. I did it. I've done it with our staff, several of our staff, some white, some some black. And it kind of just shows a little bit of, it kind of helps you see a little bit of the window into, into this subject of privilege. So here's, here's what we do. Um, you, you take, you take your, you want to do it, do it with me? Right. Maybe Parker can do it too. All right. And if you're, if you're not driving and you want to participate <laughs> in this, um, you know, you, you just kind of put, put your hands up and you put your fingers out. Okay. Extended. And I'm going to ask a series of questions, and if the answer is yes, you put a finger down. Okay. Okay? Um, and I'll try to go as slow as I can so your arms get real heavy as you can. All right, anyway, I'm just kidding. Put a <laughs> finger down if you have been called a racial slur. Put a finger down if you have been followed in a store unnecessarily. Put a finger down if someone has crossed the street to avoid passing you. Put a finger down if you've had someone clench their purse in an elevator with you. Put a finger down if you've had someone step off an elevator to keep from riding with you. Put a finger down if you have been accused of not being able to afford something expensive. Put a finger down if you've had fear in your heart when stopped by the police. <laughs> I mean, I put my finger down on that one. Parker did. <laughs> I've only gotten pulled over a couple times, so I, I'm, I'm still Oh, pulled. what? Oh, yeah. Please. Okay. Pretty good driver. Okay. Um, put a finger down if you have never been given a pass on a citation that you deserved. That's kind of a complicated question, but put a finger down if you have been stopped or detained by police for no valid reason. Put a finger down if you have been bullied solely because of your race. Put a finger down if you have been denied service solely because of the color of your skin. No for you? I mean. Conjecture. I okay. Two, I only got two fingers. You only got two fingers left. <laughs> Parker still has 10. Uh, we're starting to see the illustration here. Put a finger down. Put a finger down. This is in interesting. If you've never had to teach your children how to de-escalate an intense interaction with the police. Okay. I just want to stop right here. I know I'm not going to make you guys hold your hands up forever, <laughs> but... Um, I remember the first time I had a black friend tell me how he had to teach his children when they started to drive how to handle themselves if they get pulled over by the police. That's right. It was heartbreaking. I'm thinking I never had to talk to my son that way or my daughter that way. Um, so, so hands back up. You remember where you were? Okay, so you got one finger left. Parker still has 10. That's pretty much what it looks like <laughs> trying to drink your water with pinkies. That's pretty much what it looks like when I do this illustration with a white person yeah. versus a black person. And um, I just think it's not everything, but I think it does sort of illustrate what white privilege looks like. Uh, and I, I just I just want to encourage everybody, you and I read this great book called White Picket Fences. Yeah. It was about privilege. I think it's a, I recommend this book, even though we've just released a book. If I had to encourage you to buy one book, please buy God and Race, <laughs> A Guide to Moving Beyond. But this is a great book, and it's a book about privilege. It's written by a white woman, and um, really, really good. I, it, was it, was, it was very well written. And um, I think one of the things that we've talked about, Wayne, that you so beautifully describe is the power of forgiveness. Yeah. 
I, I told you, and I think I texted you, or we talked about this after the Botham Jean case, um, which was about two years ago, if you remember the uh, man that was killed yep. um, by a, a female police officer, a white female police officer who had mistaken Amber Geyer, um, who had mistakenly went into the wrong apartment and thought that uh, he was a threat, killed him. During he was sitting in his own apartment. Exactly. And she thought it was her apartment and um, yeah, it's terrible killed him. Story. And uh, during the trial, um, she was getting sentenced for uh, for killing him, and um, her bro- his brother got to testify and had some words. And I'm telling you, I was so moved, so so moved. It's powerful because they gave him an opportunity to speak, and he told her, "I don't want anything bad for you. I, I don't I don't want you to go to jail. Like I forgive you, and and I don't want anything bad to happen for to you." And while he's talking and saying how he forgives her and how he believes in the gospel, he says to the judge, "Can can I go hug her? Can, can I hug her?" She's being sentenced. She's literally. being sentenced. This is literally her her judgment. Yep. That you know how they allow the family to speak, which is intense. And I, I, this was like the judge I, was. It was like startled. I like didn't know what the, to do. Not what to do. And kudos to the judge for allowing that moment to happen where he got up, went and hugged her, and they embraced in the courtroom. They're sobbing I in the courtroom. I cried yeah. on my couch like a baby. It's a good video to watch. Actually, you can find it. You on, can YouTube yeah. this and watch it. I cried like a baby because it's the power of forgiveness. A person that could say, I am so glad that you are going to go to jail and rot, took the opportunity mm. to say, I forgive you. But not only not only that I forgive you, he humanized it with touch, man. I still I feel like I got goosebumps that I could cry about it because it's like he humanized the moment. And it was in a place where the, the courtroom could have just been a place where, and she, she's doing her time. He set her free from a different type of prison. Wow. That's the power. That's mm. the power for you. He set her free from a prison that nobody else can see. And it just moved me. And, and I think, you know, to see your fingers slowly disappear. And I think about how many times you've had to forgive yeah. when you've been falsely accused, when somebody was trailing you in a store because of the color of your skin or you were mistreated. I've yeah. heard stories if you told about being pulled over and being mistreated. And yeah. I know our listeners can't see your faces right now, but it's obvious how deeply these conversations move you both. And I really appreciate the vulnerability you both show when talking about things that are difficult like this. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Seriously. Thank, thank you. you. For, for your forgiveness and for having Spirit, the spirit that you have. Sorry. Thank you. Probably feels very inauthentic on a podcast, but but it's not planned. <laughs> well, we got one more question. This podcast is about helping leaders lead in the gray areas of life, and we hit topics like church and race and current events and more. And like we've talked about this month, we've we've hit a heavier subject of race. Next month, our theme on the podcast is going to be all about healthy leadership. We're going to talk about things like pace, physical health, stuff like that. So as we get ready for that month, I want to ask you guys, what are some of the things you do at the beginning of a new year to reset in your health and start the year strong? Um, I'm trying to move on. Beyond, <laughs> trying to move on beyond that moment. That moment, uh, maybe this is part of it, is having a keeping a soft heart, keeping yeah. a, keeping yourself in a place uh, spiritually of 
uh, brokenness and um, what's the right word? Tenderness. Yeah, it's good. You know, we've talked about idolatry, I think, in this on this podcast. I love food. It can be an idol for me. <laughs> and so when I fast in January, we go on a 21-day fast every January as a church. And look, I'll be honest, a lot of, a lot of us approach it as a diet because of, mm-hmm. of our overeating in, in December. But it's got to be more than that. It's a spiritual quest to get back to the the heart of God for what yep. we do. And yep. um, I don't know if that's what you're looking for yeah, in, in this question, but we're, we're, very, we're, yes. we're in a spiritual moment. <laughs> I know, we're still yeah. in a spiritual <laughs> moment. But um, I think that's what I would say. Yeah, I try to plan for the new year uh, sometime in November where I do a little retreat offsite, things I want to read, start queuing up spreadsheets of things I want to strategically read, have a word for the year that I try to do a report card for myself where I want to get better in fitness, fun, family, uh, focus. Of course, it's alliteration, but I, I, I start reviewing my, my report card very well. Are you grading yourself based on this year? Is that what you, is that the report card? or I'm grading myself on the previous year, trying to get better in, in this year. In January, you say, well, how did I do in 2021? Yeah. Like this, this year, it'll be, how did I do in 2021? Yeah, did okay. I hit my fitness goals from 2020? Right. Um, how do I do it this year? Kind of assess. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I know this is the time of the year towards the end of January where we start to trail off on our grand New Year's resolution plans. So just want to encourage you to stick with it, whatever you committed to. And we want to help. We want to equip and pour into you as a leader. So our heart is really to be a resource to you. And like I said, next month, we are focusing on healthy leadership and we've got new episodes every week. So if you haven't yet, go ahead and subscribe at Access More or wherever you get your podcast. And that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thanks so much to everybody for listening. You can always see the show notes for more. And if you want to ask John and Wayne a question, you can email it to parker at leadershipinblackandwhite.com. Follow us on Instagram at leadershipinblackandwhite. Check out our YouTube channel by searching Leadership in Black and White. And we will see you next time. The Liberating Move of God is now available as a free download thanks to our partners at World Vision. Log on to worldvision.org forward slash black and white 2024 to find it. In this free four-week self-paced study, you'll learn how God uses ordinary people to set great liberating movements into motion. Being a leader is tough. We do not want those that we lead thinking that the bad will never change because we cannot say no. Say yes to love and no to oppression. Download the liberating move of God now at worldvision.org forward slash black and white 2024. The link is in today's show notes.